Welcome to another episode of the Aztec Breakdown podcast. Hosting today, you have me, Austin Bolton, and I'll be joined by the Aztec Breakdown podfather himself, Trone. We go over the super disappointing loss against Colorado State. Just kind of let it all out. Vents a little bit, whatever it might be. That wasn't a very fun one, but then we uh, we talk a little Mountain West, and then we get ready for Saturday's huge game um, against Utah State. But before we get started, don't forget to rate, like, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow Trone in the show at Aztec Breakdown. You can follow me at It's Austin Bolton. You can follow Carly at Carcar McGee, Jacob at Aztec Linux at Analytics, and Kyle at Call Me Kinslow. Good episode. Yeah, let's get after it. Shepard was asking for it for three. Well, he popped it, didn't he? He was begging. Oh, what a play by Matt Mitchell. To Watson, sees a lane, takes it underneath. Montana three. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Aztec Nation. We're back. It's been a little crazy for both of us, so apologies. We're a little late on the last couple episodes. Uh, we took a little extra bye week opposed to the Aztecs, even though it seemed like the Aztecs could have used a little extra bye week themselves. But uh, Trone, how are you doing today, man? We are, you know what, Austin? It's going okay up here. It's like you said, it's been a little, been a little hectic, and it was one of those, watching the, watching the Colorado State game, was one of those where I was like, I don't even have the emotional capacity right now to be upset about this game, so I'm just going to laugh at it. I just need to laugh at something, so we're going to laugh at this. It was one of those. But today was actually a pretty solid day. Can't complain about today. If this was the NBA, it's one of those games you just laugh off. It's like, oh, Tuesday night in January, they're getting blown out. Whatever, you move on. But the regular season means so much more in college basketball than the NBA, and that's why it's killer, and they – Personally, I thought this was the road game for them to get because of the, you know, there's no height. It was a good one for Jaden to kind of eat, and that just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been having – this game was kind of circled and maybe Nevada, but this game seemed a little more likely, which is no disrespect to Colorado State at all. It just seemed like a like a decent matchup. And then for them to come out the way they did was so disheartening overall yeah yeah not a good look all right so i switched up i switched up our outline here because what headline can you say that hasn't already you know was just super disappointing so switching it up here so trone what was your number one takeaway from this game the number one takeaway i had from this game was just the the surprise at the lack of urgency this team showed and especially coming off of a bye week that was a big thing where i was like this this is the game that i'm circling because they have the bye week to take some time to to rest to hopefully get a little healthier to scout out the opponent um and all these things kind of working in their favor finally and they came out and they just looked like they expected colorado state to just roll over and let them win is the only way i can describe it they just looked like they expected everything to just be handed to them, which is so counter to the way I feel like Aztec teams usually are. And especially coming off of a bye week like that. Like if they came out like that and they're, you know, just gassed from, you know, playing a bunch of games in a short period of time or whatever, that's that's one thing. Uh, but just, yeah, the lack of urgency. I was like, do these guys realize that they are not in first place in the conference right now and that losing this game, like is going to put them in jeopardy of not even being in the top five in the conference. If you know, like that's they're I think they're tied for fourth right now with Wyoming of all teams. So if you can't finish in the top five, you're not going to win the tournament. And I don't think that's like actually going to happen, but just they came out like they don't think it's even possible. And that was a little disheartening. Yeah. I, I'm pretty much on the same boat. I don't remember them being the Aztecs being that sloppy in a long time, in a long, long, long time, like 2018 long time. Like it just, it was crazy. They were just like throwing stuff out of bounds and 
just dribbling off their foot. It just, it seemed like a total lack of focus, which is very weird for the Aztecs. Mm -hmm. Um, But with all this being said, you know, like they still had the lead at one point in the second half. Now, granted it was super short lived, but it shows how much talent they have because they were able to just like have their C minus game and still kind of be there at the end. And they ran out of juice and they, you know, whatever Colorado state pulled out at the end. But this league is too good to sleepwalk on any night. It just is. like the. It's just too good to sleepwalk. And they sleptwalked through the first 12 minutes of that game or whatever it was, and they paid for it. They didn't deserve to win that game. Like, if they would have won, that would have been pulling. That would have been one where, like, ah, we didn't deserve to win, but we pulled it out. And, you know, they really, they really didn't deserve to win. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about a couple bright spots because – you know, we're, we're eternal optimists here. So Reese waters found his game must be filled. He was feeling a lot better after the bye week. It was great to see. He was seven of nine from the field, three for three from three. He had 17 points, four boards. He just, he looked smooth. The shot looked good. what did you see from Reese waters? Reese definitely looked like he was back to, to healthy, which he's been looking solid for a, a, a couple games here, I think, but he looked like he was back in it. Like he was back in, in his flow. Uh, it's, I, I find the, let me back up for context. So Chris, Chris Spearing, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Chris, if you're listening, I apologize, but he put out a great article about like, should Reese Waters be more aggressive uh, in games and looking to take more shots um, and, and multiple fans would come in and comment and be like, he should be taking, you know, 12 to 15 shots like Jordan Shackle did. And I looked it up and I was like, Jordan Shackle never took more than 10 shots a game in any season. So yes and no, right on that one. Um, but I, you know, looking at that, it made me wonder, I think we have an inherent assumption where if a guy is seven of nine, we automatically think he should be taking more shots, right? If you're seven of nine, you shouldn't only have nine shots. And I a hundred percent get that. I also wonder to a certain extent, we assume that if you take more shots, you're still going to make those more shots. And I think the interesting with Reese waters is because he's such a go with the flow kind of guy, he has extremely high level shot selection. And if he tries to force things more, is he going to be taking worse shots that aren't actually go in? So instead of finishing seven for nine, he finishes like eight of 15, right? And it's not actually that helpful at that point. I don't know for sure. And I think it would be interesting to see a couple games where he does really push the issue to see what happens. I do wonder if it's like not the solution to all the problems, but he's been fantastic. And I think I've been saying it all year, like in, in some aspects offensively he's been better than even Matt Bradley, which is saying something because Matt Bradley was up there and carried the team offensively for basically two years. And just the way waters flows within the offense just works out so well. And his, he just, he can score from all the levels. He can do all the things. Um, So it's very encouraging to see him back into his groove. And now we need, the other players to kind of get back to where they were at the start of the season is kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I, it's one of, you're exactly right. Like his shot selection is so good. So like how many more would he get that would, you know, like you said, like I've seen him force a couple when he gets hot and you know, it's not like he has a super high clip on that. I would like him personally to be a little bit, just a touch more aggressive. If if he has like 10% more, you know, like if he's passing up a shot where he's call it 30% covered and he's passing it up because it's a good, not great shot. Like if the offense is stagnant, like let those fly, maybe be a little right, bit more right. aggressive there. Um, but he's, <clears throat> he's the key to this thing, right? Like if he can score in double figures and the next guy we're going to talk about can be an engine, it really will, it really changes the dynamic because the way that those guys are pounding Jaden and last night was another one of those nights where they didn't get a single foul call. Like they were hammering him. The broadcast was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's getting mugged out there. They even mentioned it. And there's going to be nights like that on the road. We've talked about it. It's like they've had a hard time adjusting away from when they don't get free throws. But if he can hit shots and they know he's going to rip them, then he's got to take them for the sake of getting Jaden more looks. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, another, another point worth mentioning to like argue against myself is the thing that generates perimeter gravity more than a high percentage of shooting, right? More than a guy shooting 40% from three is a guy that will shoot six or seven threes each yeah. game. Even if they're down shooting, you know, average, if they're shooting 33%, guys are going to close out harder. Statistically speaking, it's generally the rule. Like if you're taking seven or eight threes a game, you're closing out hard on that guy, even if they're only shooting 33%, as opposed to a guy who's shooting 40% on two threes a game, you're still going to just kind of leave that guy open. Um, so there is something to be said about taking more shots and especially perimeter shots to hopefully draw that gravity and give Jaden a little bit more space. Yeah. I, it was just good to see because we really need him. That was a bright spot. The other bright spot is Lamont Butler. He was uh, he played 30 minutes, 6 of 15 from the field. Um, 16 points. He had four assisted at four turnovers, but he had four steals. So it kind of all balances out. Um, he is definitely hitting his stride. And I think it's really good to see. He put that team on his back in the second half to get them that one point lead. And then he got a breather and he admitted he was having some altitude issues of like, I gotta, I gotta take a break. But if Reese and if Butler can ascend like that, or be on an ascension like that, I think the Aztecs are still in a pretty good spot. How are you feeling about Lamont? Lamont has had two really good games in a row now. He had a fantastic game at Wyoming. Uh, he had a great game, or against Wyoming, he had a great game at Colorado State for, for slightly different reasons. Right At Wyoming, he was, I think it was 8 of 8 inside the arc, and he had like zero turnovers or one turnover or something like that, right? Uh, this game, three of 10 from inside the arc. So his scoring inside and at the rim wasn't great, which is, I feel like the thing I want the most from him ultimately. Um, but his three point shooting was fantastic. He hit some big ones there and he, he played his pressure defense. He did have a few turnovers, but the whole team had turnovers and I wouldn't be surprised if one or two of those were things that were credited to him, even though if you look at the film, they weren't even necessarily his fault. So a lot of a lot of stuff going on there, but yeah, between those two, I mean, really, I, I'm at the point where the Aztecs, you have Jaden there, and he's a fantastic talent, and I don't know, I'm sure there are things that can be done schematically to help him get more open and get easier touches because they're just having so much trouble getting him the ball down low where he needs it, but having the perimeter players start to kind of catch on again, and I don't even terribly care who it is but just having a couple guys each game whether it's waters whether it's butler i really if parish can get back going and start hitting from threes he was shooting like 40 plus percent at one point this he was at like 48 on. it was like 48 yeah. percent. yeah yeah and it's and he shot 40 percent for most of last year until he got hurt so like he can hit these shots in the last five games he's shooting 20 percent. i think it's three of 15 or or, or four of 20 or something like that uh, it's been it's been bad over the last five games. I think, in fact, it might have been five of twenty-five. It doesn't matter. I digress. His shooting has been very poor for a while, and I'm really hopeful that there's some type of regression to the mean there, where like he started out super hot, and now he's been super cold for more than five games, really. And then he kind of comes back up and settles in in that 36, 37% range because that would be another thing where like if, if this team can start hitting those outside shots and Jaden can hopefully like hit the guys when those double and triple teams come, if he touches the ball right and then you're playing inside out, that can really punish the opponents and just make it a pick your poison team as opposed to right now, it's very one dimensional. It's get the ball to Jaden and hope he draws fouls. And if he doesn't draw fouls, there, you know, what's going to happen. He'll still get some points, obviously, but like, he's not going to be as dominant. He'll just be good, you know? So yeah. open it up would be huge. Yeah. I, it's, it's tough because they have to hit. I mean, it's just like, there's no other way to go about it. Otherwise they just have to rely on getting 25 free throws again. And that's just not right. sustainable. And that's how you lose an NCAA tournament game when all of a sudden they're letting them play and you have nine free throws. I mean, right. All right. Did you have a favorite play of the game? 
you know, I really need to pay better attention during the game and like mark down what my favorite play is going to be. Um, cause I always struggle to remember the game afterwards. So I'm just going to go with, um, miles bird. Once again, we can set our clocks to it. Basically at this point had a steal in the open court. I don't remember if he picked a guy's pocket or if he, if he intercepted a pass, but either way he got a steal and he ran it down and he dunked it. And I think he also kind of did like a little pull up thing with it maybe. And I was worried he was going to get a technical and he didn't. So thank goodness for that. But, uh, Carly was all over that. It's, oh yeah, it's so exciting to watch him play. And it, it definitely comes with, with all the, headaches that comes with it too whether it's turnovers or whether it's just like rushed shots like it feels like every time he touches the ball he's gonna shoot it right so there's all the number of potential negatives that will hopefully with time you know and and i expect to with time be kind of weaned out of his game but the highlights he puts up just these every game there's at least one steal that leads to a dunk and it is so fun to watch he probably had his best kind of statistical game against Colorado State, we should point that out. He was four of six from the field, one of two from three at two boards, nine points, two assists, the one steal. Um, he, when... He credited him with one block. I thought he had two. I thought he had two as well. Uh, it looks like they might have given it to... But it's funny because he has kind of assumed the AG role of the spark. He's come in and like he is given that spark... And I love that for him because he he plays with such energy and such joy and just like such like, all right, like I'm going to fly around here and play my way. And that's also gotten him into some injury trouble, a lot like AG in a lot of like in a lot of ways, too, you know. And but I just I love him and I love everything that he's like he's about. I love his attitude on the court like. It's fun, but like he he doesn't take any he doesn't take any trash either from the other teams like. He's he's a fun watch for sure. Well, and him, he doesn't take any trash from fans either. Shout out to Miles, if you know, you know. Uh, he him kind of taking on that AG role feels like so much of a like easier transition than forcing Elijah into it, right? And that's no that's no shade on Elijah Saunders at all. Um, who is another player who needs to pick his game up. He had a solid game against Wyoming and just was not feeling it against the Rams. It was it was an ugly game. Um, but I, I every, you know, everybody coming in, and even I remember reading Ziegler or somebody, and they were talking about, you know, Elijah saying that he's going to try and take over that a rope role and just kind of be this glue guy that can do a little bit of everything and whatnot. And, and I never really thought that was what he should be being asked to do, right? I thought he should have a much more focused role and let someone else try and take over that energizer role. And I think Miles Bird, with his with his game of can do a little bit of everything but doesn't do anything at an elite level, except for defense, arguably, uh, that's a much better role for Bird to be in. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's very glad that he's been able to find that and he's been... He's been super great in that role, and the future for him is is going to be bright. And by extension, the future for Aztec fans getting to watch him is going to be bright. Yeah, hundred percent. I think too with your, your what you're talking about there with Elijah. Like, I never I heard that too, but I just never thought it because Miles is way more of a Swiss Army knife than Elijah right. is, right? Like, right. Elijah's a stretch four who has good touch and he plays good defense. Like, that's his role. That's great. Right. Miles can play one through four, man, one through three and a half, but like, you know, he's getting rebounds, blocks, kind of everything, you know? So I will say my favorite play of the game was just Dutch flipping out. I've never seen it before. Not, not yeah. like that. And Sons Amani actually posted this on Twitter. So I'll give him credit, but I liked it. It's like, it's the first time you had really seen don't make me coach effort personified in an action during a game. Which is what mm-hmm. Dutch and, and, and fish coach fish always said. Right. Right. And that's just what it seemed like he was uh, coaching up there during that timeout, but it, it worked. And, you know, you could only, for him with how mild manner, his, how even keeled he is, right? he can only use that card once or twice a year to, for it to be meaningful. And he used, you know, he used the card. It's not like, you know, coach Velasquez, like he's just always, he's actually calmed down a lot this year as compared to last year. Right. 
but like he was just you know then you it just i assume there's a certain level of just taking the words for what they are but not the tone whereas dutch he's so even keeled you know when it comes at you fiery you're like whoa where did okay like you you have my attention sir so that's what i i I do not know coach dutcher at all the only time i did anything resembling meeting him was was after the gonzaga game when i was asked him like that one question basically but i can guarantee you from working like in education for as long as i have that he knows that as well like it's like borderline a conscious decision not that he's not upset but like he knows no he said it he said it was a conscious decision after the game he's he mentioned that yeah like he knows he gets one of these each year if that because if you do it all the time it's going to start losing its its impact and so that like yeah super super smart and also like that doesn't mean it's not real that doesn't mean he's not upset that doesn't mean you know that he's not expecting better and all these different things but yeah if you do stuff like that all the time if you, if you do it all the time and that's what's expected then it then that becomes like the new even keel and if you're that aggro all the time the way you get everybody's attention is actually by quieting down but because he's always even keel when you ele- elevate yeah. it yeah it's going to it's going to do something and hopefully that spurs something like it didn't really work for that game they were already too far out of it, I think, ultimately. But hopefully that spurs something for a stretch run here, especially coming into this tough part of the schedule. Yeah. And taking – I've mentioned this on Twitter. Taking a road thumping in the end of January to kind of propel the rest of the season has happened the last three years. So this isn't, like, totally abnormal for them to get a, to get a, get a lick in before February comes around. So, all right. Let's move on. All right, let's move on to Homer and Hater. If you're new here, it's just an irrational fan take on both the Homer and the Hater side. Trone, you always have the flaming hot fire with the Hater. What what do you got? My Hater that I don't actually believe because it's irrational take and that's okay. My Hater uh, is... Sorry, the dogs are barking in the other room. My hater is that these guys don't actually care. This team is entitled and they expect everybody to just lay out the red carpet and walk them hand in hand to the to the championship ring. And they're in for a rude awakening. I don't know if it's this Gen Z entitlement stuff going on. I don't know if it's, you know, everybody gets a handout, everybody gets participation trophies. Whatever it is, these guys just expect to get first place but not have to work for it they haven't heard that big time popular clip on youtube or twitter or whatever about the coach who talks about how winning doesn't love you back it doesn't give you anything they've never heard that clip apparently because they just came out and they didn't care and uh if that's the case like should we as fans even care who knows that's the hater take that's that's very i, I like that it's it kind of goes with my hater take, which is that the vibes are atrociously bad right now. That within the within the group, like if you kind of like something seems off with the group, and that I don't know if they actually like each other, which is I is weird to say because this group the team has such good vibes last that I'm I don't know. I'm my hater is that I'm very worried about the vibes on the team and it shows in the cohesiveness and it's just bad. It's just doesn't, it doesn't seem good. I don't know. That's, that's, it's irrational. It's probably not rooted in anything. These guys, these guys seemingly, some of them hang out, but something is off. And if I had to put my finger on it and this is just totally irrational, I think there's a divide between Jaden and the rest of the team. If I was irrationally looking at it, just being like, he's old, he's a little bit older than everybody. They're, you know, a little bit different of, you know, part of his life. And they have a hard time getting in the ball. And it seems like sometimes they don't even try. And I don't know, like, it's, uh, it's irrational, but something seems off on the vibes. I don't know. Am I, am I, am I crazy here? Or am I, am I just, am I just a uh, body language doctoring it? Or I don't know, but that's, that's my irrational hater take. It's, you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't 
honestly say that I've noticed that specifically. I don't think that like with you saying that, I think if if we gave everyone truth serum and they said, yeah, there's like some divides over such and such issues, right? I don't think I would be terribly surprised, um, but it's not I, – I can't point to something and be like, yes, this is evidence of what, of what Austin just said. Um, it makes sense that there could be – I mean one, like you said, the age thing is a real thing, right? And if if I – little personal story. So I did college kind of later, right? And so I was 24 or 25 and I lived in this dorm room with 18 year olds and it was not pleasant because I had already done all the 18, 19, 20 year old college type stuff elsewhere. And I was at this point, I was like, I'm here to like, this is work essentially, aside from the actual job I had, I was like, I'm here to, to do these things. Um, and they wanted to do the 18, 19, 20 year old stuff. And it was rough. Uh, so like that, that can be a thing. And I, I don't think that necessarily goes away. Um, until everybody hits like a certain benchmark of 24, 25 years old and not everybody on the team is that way. So that could be a thing with Jaden. Definitely playing as, as a big man has been my role when I've played for most of my life. And it is discouraging when you get into great position and people don't see it or don't notice it or just refuse to get you the ball for whatever reason, right? It's super discouraging if, if, and I don't know so much that this specific thing has happened, but if you're in great position and you're open and somebody like takes a step back three that, you know, they're going to miss anyways, right? That's super discouraging. Um, it doesn't even just have to be Jaden. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Darion has a little something because he was starting and he was the, the South region player of the, of the tournament or whatever. And now he's coming off the bench. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little something there. Uh, who knows? Like there could be something with Parrish that could be kind of fueling his, his poor performance. Cause he was hot to start the year, both offensively and defensively. And lately he's just been not great. So who knows what's up with that? Uh, it's the disease yeah. of more. It's the old Pat Riley thing. If yeah. Pat Riley has always talked about the disease of more, you kind of talked about it in your first one. And let me just be clear, we're speculating just from a completely hater fan's take. We have no inside information, and we're just we're just a little bit speculating. But I will tell you, if if I hear if we hear about a players only meeting that happened right after this last game, it would not surprise me. Yeah, All right. Yeah. What's uh what what do you got what do you got for your homework, Tron? Let's 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 Sorry, finish it. Sorry, what were you saying there? I I think we might be like unsynced right now. That's a bummer. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying anymore. Actually, we can just move on. We're good. Hey, that's show business, baby. All right, what's up? <laughs> what's your what's your what's your Homer Tron? Homer is uh, kind of kind of going off of. I think you you. You mentioned earlier that you pointed this out on Twitter earlier that like there's always a loss at the end of January that kind of spurs the team on. I think last year it was January 30th or January 31st and this year was the whatever one it wasn't last year. Um, So it's like right at the exact same time. We don't know of any of any player meeting, um, but hopefully it's the time is right to spur something on. Like you said, it's happened the last few years. Uh, the, the schedule coming up is by no means easy, but they have a home game against Utah state that I, I do think they can win. I, I just finished writing the preview for it for East village times, shameless plug, uh, and just scouting the team. I do think they can win. It's by no means going to be easy, but at home I think they can win. And then they do air force on the road and that's always tough on the road, but hopefully talent wins out. And then you got a little two game win streak and then. The next game was the other road game I had circled in Nevada and then potentially, which none of these really are gimmies, but hopefully that's a little three game win streak and they're kind of back in the race there at that point, hopefully with, with a couple more road wins and, and one against Nevada in the ideal scenario. And then it's a couple more home games after that. So like, 
if I wanted to be irrationally optimistic, there is a path to winning the next five games in a row. And especially if, if whatever it is, whether it's injuries, whether it's like you're like you're a rational hater was that there's like some type of chemistry issue, whether it's, you know, just guys are in a funk and need to get out of it, whatever it might be, whatever it is, it's a good time to get out of it. And then they can, they can come in and get on a hot streak and really get back in this race. Nice. I like it. My Homer is, I still have faith in Elijah Saunders, which is, there's been some discourse and some pretty ugly discourse at that. I'm glad his teammates stuck up for him. I still, you know, you look at Evan Mia, he's still in the seventh, he's in the seventh best three-man lineup of the Mountain West and the seventh best two-man lineup of the Mountain West. He's still filling a role. I think everybody would admit himself being the first one saying the Colorado State was was not a good game for him. And that's okay. Right. It happens, you know, and it's just about it's just about bouncing back, right? And it's just, you know, let's see him bounce back. I know he's a great shooter. I've, I, I sat there in Maui last year when he was a freshman. It was like two weeks into the season. I watched him make like 12 in a row during warmups. Like, I know he can shoot that ball. He just, he seems like he's lost a little bit of confidence. And that we just, I think on, I think Saturday will be greatly important to the rest of his season. Where if he can hit one, the crowd gets behind him, and he gets on a little bit of a roll, that will be the the confidence booster that that he is sorely needing right now. But I, I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe in Elijah Saunders, and I I can't wait for him to kind of bust out of this slump because he deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, he was a he was an easy target after the Colorado State game, and there were even people coming like after me almost because I've been saying like he's okay, and especially after the Wyoming game, I was like he had a solid game. Like people have been wondering if he should be moved out of the starting lineup, but he played well against Wyoming, so let's at least give him credit for that. And then Colorado State happens, and people are like, "Do you still support him?" And I was like, "Yeah." Do you not? Like, what is what are we even talking that's, about here? That's. That's the kind of trash that'll get a guy to transfer. And that is not what we want because that guy has a bunch of talent and we still need to be supporting this guy a hundred percent. Not ideal. So it, and, and I'm not like, I'm not out here being, I don't think like an apologist. Like I, I call him out. Like if he had a bad game, like he did against the Rams, that was, that was a bad game, right? He struggled to, to make entry passes to, to Jaden, right? That was, there was a couple turnovers right there on that alone. So it wasn't a good game, but he does have still a lot of potential and a lot of skill. And I think he's kind of still trying to find out what his role is, because that was like the quote that I mentioned earlier, like he was saying himself that he's hoping to kind of take on this AG role. And I don't think that's the best role for him. So like if he's not doing that because birds doing it, what is he doing? And if his shot isn't falling, what else can he, what else can he provide? So I think there's a lot going on there. Um, well, that leads yeah, me to one that a question I had in my a question I had in my brain that I didn't write down, but I'm going to surprise you with it. Do you think they should throw him into more of how they used Keyshad last year, where yeah, he was able to get to the corners and shoot some threes, and yeah, he did the dribble handoffs at the top, but he really ducked in a lot more. And Elijah seems to have some good touch, and he's a good rebounder. Do you slide him more into that Keyshad role instead of him being just the ultimate stretch four? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And and here's why. And that's such an unsatisfying answer. And I know that um, the thing with Ladie, right, is he is best when he is playing the five and, and moving Saunders to play inside more and duck in more doesn't necessarily mean Ladie isn't playing the five anymore. Uh, but I'm just confused with Ladie, when I look at the stats and and to what extent I've looked at the film, I'm not sure like what works with him schematically pairing wise. Because when you looked at the numbers last year, if Ladie was paired with Mensa, the pairing was awful. When you look at it this year, when Ladie is paired with Heidi, I haven't checked it since the Colorado State game, but before the Colorado State game, at the very least, the pairing was not good. That being said, when you paired Ladie with like a rope, 
the pairing was fantastic. I think that might have been the best pairing last year was Jaden Ladee and, and Agueka Rope. Wonderful pairing. And I'm like, if you just are checking off boxes of skills these guys have, Arope and Mensa have super similar boxes, right? It's not like one of them is a stretch player and one of them isn't. It's not like one of them is doing all these moves on the perimeter and the other one isn't. So I don't, I've never been able to figure out why it worked with a rope and to a lesser extent it worked with Johnson and it never worked with guys like Mensa or, or, or Heidi this year. Um, I think if I'm in charge of the team, my goal is to just optimize Ladie first and foremost and less so Saunders. And that's a bummer for Saunders, but it's just kind of the way the pecking order works, right? If you optimize Saunders at the expense of Ladie, I think you're hurting your team more than helping it in the vast majority of cases. And so I would, I would just want to see some evidence. There might be some out there, but I would just want to see some evidence that kind of changing that role and having Saunders play inside more actually helps Ladie somehow. And it's just hard to conceptualize how that might be unless it's something like um, the doubles are coming anyway. So you're just kind of starting with Ladie almost already doubled and he can just kind of, quick pass it to Saunders who's now open like a big to big pass maybe like that would be the best argument I could find for it but I don't know that Jaden can do those really touch passes anyways it's I don't know if that's his game um yeah that's that's a really long-winded answer but I I don't know I ultimately the the ideal situation is that just Saunders starts hitting those shots again and he can stay on the perimeter and keep the floor spaced and then punish guys when they leave him to double Jaden is the ideal. But without knowing that playing him inside more could help. I think the big thing, actually, what I would want to do is keep Saunders on the perimeter, but have him crash the offensive glass all the time. Like, I don't want him running back in defensive transition hardly at all. Maybe if he's at the top of the key, he can run back. But if he's in the wing or the corner, I want him crashing the glass because Jaden's drawing two or three guys. And there was a couple times against Colorado State, and I've seen in other games too, where Saunders is able to just walk under the rim. Totally on nobody's boxing mount, nobody's anything because so many people are focusing on the D. And I don't think it led to any offensive rebounds because the ball just bounced a different way. But there will be times where that works, and now he gets easy putbacks. Um, so I'd probably keep him on the perimeter and just have him kind of sneakily charge in is where I would be right now. I think, where do you, do you think ducking in would help? I don't know. Only if he could slide in just like when the double comes and if he was on the weak side corner when he ducked, you know, and then he kind of ducked because I know when Keyshot did it, there was a couple different ways, but one of them is when he would kind of patrol the baseline there, um, I, I I just wanted him to get some confidence more than anything else and just right. put him in a position to get right. some easy baskets. Um, but it's, you know, he's good. I, I am confident in that shot. The shot looks good. It's when he hesitates on the shot where I'm like, oh, he's thinking about it. and You know, it's over. It's kind of a done deal. But he has the leaping ability. We saw him almost absolutely posterize the guy and he just missed it. So... I don't know. I just want him to feel good and play and, you know, have some confidence because it's obvious. He's obviously kind of going through it right now. So, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. What is, are there any changes you'd make or are you, are you just rolling the, are you just kind of doubling down on what you have if, if you're Dutch in the, in the squad? It's, it's another really tough question. When you look at the season long data, the starting five have still been great overall. And it's just a question of how much you believe. If, if you, the listener, are in charge of the team, how much you believe the team can get back to that level. Is this a slump or is this more of what they really are? If I was to make a change, I can say this. I don't think it would be Saunders. Um, I don't think so. I don't think I would swap out Saunders for Powell. I, I would probably consider it, but I don't think that's the swap I would make. I think the swap I would make would be swapping out Micah Parrish for Miles Bird. I think that would um, be better. Bird hasn't been a great shooter this season, although it seems to start kind of be warming up here for him. So that's encouraging, but he hasn't been a great shooter. But Parrish hasn't been a great shooter lately either. But Bird is a far more disruptive player defensively. Um, He's arguably like a mildly better ball handler. 
So you're kind of adding some things there without taking away much from that starting lineup. And also Miles Bird is in all of the best lineups in terms of in terms of five man lineups. He's in all the he, I think he's in one or two of the worst ones also, but he's in all of the best ones. So that would be the change I would consider making and and ultimately hopefully Parrish can get back in his groove too and then it's not we're not even worried about it, but that would be the change I would consider more so than swapping out Saunders for, for Pal. Yeah, I you know it's funny, if if they did anything, I think I would go I would switch to the lineup we all heard about all summer, which was that they were gonna go ultra small and swap out Tramel, swap in Tramel for Saunders. Yep. And just kind of have bring back Darian and Lamont playing together, Reese, Micah, you know, those guys are capable rebounders, and then Jaden at the five and just play super small. And then you can have Miles and Saunders come off the bench together who, you know, are good buddies. They live their roommates and like, you know, they, they have a little bit of chemistry there where they can come off the bench and kind of dominate that second unit. I don't think I would put Miles into the starting lineup only because he brings that spark off the bench that I wouldn't want to kind of use that card. It's it's like uh, the Spurs, right? The Spurs never, ever did that, played that card with Manny Ginobili except in the playoffs when they were dying for it. But otherwise they always wanted that spark off the bench from him. And I think for this particular, I think miles bird will start someday, but for this particular season, both him and pal, I kind of keep as like those guys come in with a spark and miles is bird, especially. So I wouldn't mess with that, but I think I would go with the more experienced starting five. Cause that's what you get when you swap Tramel in for Saunders is, I mean, then you got, a bunch of guys who've played a million games and you know, I, I think that's what I would switch it to, but you know, they love having two bigger guys. Like that's a thing the coaches want. They want a traditional four and f- more four and five, even though Jaden's not quite the traditional five, but point stands. Right. I don't think they're going to quite do it yet, but if they did anything, I think that's what I would do. Well, and also if you make that swap, you get to run more. And I, for this season at least, I've been converted to like team run in transition because they're struggling so much in the half court. Like get out and score those easy points. So it's it's funny though, the synergy numbers on them running is is still not that good. No, I looked at it before the Colorado State. They're still it's still pretty. It's it's worse than you think it is. And they they pretty much never are. And I haven't checked synergy in a while. But for the most part, if you compare the best half court offenses in the nation to the worst transition offenses in the nation, the trend, like they're equal. Yeah. Like the worst of the transition is the same as the best half court often, or like it's, it's very close. And so even if you're, you know, 25th percentile, I don't know what the Aztecs are at, but even if you're that low, like it's still better than, than half court usually. And my, my contention with running has always been, you're not going to outrun, teams at elevation when they're used to it and you're not it's not going to happen um but if if you're already going to be losing most of these games on the road anyways which like isn't a given but it's kind of the trend that's been going on this year not even just with the aztecs but with most teams so if you're already going to lose those games anyways let's find a way to win the ones at home and win them win them bigly you know i don't know yeah no i i for sure hey they did that in uh when was that 2019 when they plugged in Terrell Gomez and then they whipped out like 15 in a row or 14 in a row or whatever it was. Um, you know, that was a year, um, you know, they decided to put him in, they started running more and they whipped out, they whipped off a bunch of, um, wins. So it's something they've done before, but you know, every, if, if you listen to this podcast, you know, Dutch, doesn't like changing the starting lineup. So unless they're in dire straits, I wouldn't expect to see it. So, all right, just a quick mountain West overview um, before we dive into the preview, the quick preview, Utah state seven and one makes this game huge on Saturday, Boise six and two, New Mexico six and three, Aztecs five and three, Wyoming five and three. Someone might've called on the preview podcast with Sensamani that Wyoming was going to be better than everybody thought. Not going to name names. Um, And then Colorado state, Four and four, UNLV, Nevada, Fresno, Air Force, San Jose State rounded out. I think the big thing here is Colorado State would not have a bye in the Mountain West tournament, which um, 
is crazy to think because of how good they are, but this entire league is a freaking gauntlet, man. There's not one easy there's not one easy game here. And I, I will say I watched I, I tend to watch a lot of Mountain West anyways, but the games are just so good. And like that Mountain West Co- or the Wyoming Colorado State game was wild, but any thoughts on stuff you've seen just around uh, around the around the Mountain West? I man, I mean in general, not a lot. New Mexico losing to Boise State in the pit last night was was my Max Rice surprising. with thirty five. Thirty five. I'm I'm interested to see if I have time at some point to kind of watch that game closely and see if there's anything the Aztecs can take from that for the rematch against against New Mexico. I'm not sure there will be, especially especially if there's a guy like Max Rice scoring just 35 on these crazy shots, it sounds like. I mean, Max Rice is a good player. Don't get me wrong. I've defended Max Rice to Boise State fans before. Um, but, like, you don't expect him to score 35, right? So it might have just been that they got hot at the right time and, and New Mexico just couldn't do it for whatever reason that night. I I mean, somebody did call Wyoming being better than everybody thought. I, I don't think even with where they're at, I still don't expect them to finish in the top five, but it's going to be close. And honestly, the sixth place team this year might still be like nine and seven or 10 and six. Like that's not outside the realm of possibility, which is kind of crazy. Um, so it's, I think the takeaways is just, it's, it's a fun year for the mountain West there. If, if the season ended today, there would probably be five mountain West teams in the, tournament and a couple of them would be like five six or seven seeds and that's exciting hopefully things can shake out so that that continues that there's you know five or six teams in the tournament and that a couple of them are pretty high seeds um just you know the objective mountain west fan even more hopefully hopefully the aztecs can go on a huge winning streak here and just pummel everyone into the ground and get up to like a four seed that would be amazing yeah, um, but yeah, it's just it's a fun it's a fun league to watch this year. The winner of this conference should be a four seed, no question. Like no matter how much we beat up on each other, like the winner of this conference has got to be a four seed. Right. Um, I don't think you know New Mexico losing at home is New Mexico losing at home was crazy because they were the freaking eighty eighty five Showtime Lakers every other game at home this season. Um, but you know the the ninety six Bulls. Yeah, it's the fun league, though. All right. Saturday, 1230 p.m. Pacific time on Fox. We get Utah State. Uh, The school is doing the courtyard two hours before the game. Uh, Like we said, uh, Utah State is seven and one. I think they're up to 15th in the country um, in the AP poll. Um, Tron, what makes you nervous for this one? I think... Utah State is just, I think what makes me nervous is San Diego State has a blueprint for how to beat them that I think has been exposed. And it's it's only able to be exposed because of some of these other things we've talked about where players are, are shooting cold or not performing to their potential or all these other things. But you just, you make Jaden Liddy's life impossible down low and you double and triple team him as much as you can and you swipe at the ball and you do all these things so that he you play ball denial so that he doesn't even hardly get to touch the ball and when he does he's swarmed and nobody else is really going to be able to do enough to replace the production lost by him not even being able to touch the ball and I think Utah State will be able to execute that game plan very well they have they have, dare I say, like a poor man's Jaden Ladee in in great Osabor, who's another big man who's going to bully you and and use his strength and his physicality and do all these things. I think Osabor isn't quite as skilled as Ladee. I don't think he's, from what I've seen, he's not as good at like hitting mid-range jumpers or three-point jumpers. His handle, I don't know if it's as good, but on the flip side, I think he's a touch more athletic. I think that's something that's hurting Jaden Liddy is just his overall, um, not his overall athleticism, but his like quickness. I don't think Jaden Liddy is super quick. I don't think that's a super controversial take. Um, and so I think Osibor will be 
strong enough and quick enough to be able to handle a D and especially with the help. So other guys are going to have to, to step up. Um, it's also a tough game to regain any type of three point shooting rhythm because, uh, the Aggies of Utah state, I'm, I'm on Ken Palm. They're currently fifth in the nation in three point defense. So if they are clogging up the paint and then mixing that with aggressive closeouts that force misses, the Aztecs could be in trouble if they can't score inside or outside potentially in this one. Those things are concerning. Yeah, I think this one has the potential to be a massive grind. Um, you know, because as you said, Utah State is fifth in defending the three-pointer. The Aztecs are 20th. And then on offense, Utah State is 287th in three-point percentage. The Aztecs are 251st. So they might be building a house with this game with the amount of bricks that are going to be going up from the three-point range. The one thing that is interesting is that how just how much better the Aztecs are at defending the interior than Utah State, whereas Utah State, they're kind of, or the Aztecs are, what are they here? They are 160th, kind of middle of the pack, defending two-pointers. But Utah State is 271st when it comes to two points. So this could be a Jane Ledee game. A lot of mid ranges. If we if they kind of get the ask if they close out and get the Aztecs off the three point line, you know the Aztecs have been known to shoot some mid range jumpers in their day. Like if they could, if Jaden can hit those, if Reese can get going on those. I mean Lamont with the one dribble pull up can hit those. Um, but this game has the potential to be a gr- like a real grind. And if it's a grind, then you never know what's going to happen because it's never you're never going to swing one way or the other, like five points here, four point, you know, and then somebody gets one little run and all of a sudden the game's over. So I think I think that's what makes me the, definitely the most nervous. I will say what makes me the most optimistic here is Utah, the group that Utah State has has never played at VA House before. It's a different. It's a different beast than a lot of the Mountain West. They've never. He, their coach has never coached against Dutch, who, other than Le, you know, Dutch is the cream of the cream of the crap in the Mountain West. Him, Leon Rice, you know, those two, you know, are the cream of the crap. And you know, with those guys never being in this environment, and with how wild that crowd is going to be on Saturday, because it's we're, we're desperate for a win, and Utah State's in first place, and that place is going to be buzzing on Saturday. I think Utah State's kind of walking into a buzzsaw, and it's, you know, that bodes well for the Aztecs. What What are you feeling optimistic about on this one, Tron? I think as, I don't know, I mean, maybe this is just too much of, like, preseason impacting me, but I still think despite the start Utah State has gotten, and they've been great, and I, I think I started off a little bit higher on them than the consensus was, and even they've blown my expectations out of the waters, but I think still, talent-wise, I think the Aztecs are still better, at least for this year. I think the Aggies have gotten some contributions from some young players that we weren't really expecting. Uh, but so talent, I, I believe talent tends to win out more often than not, uh, and that's even more so when you're playing on your home court, which you you touched on. So those things are encouraging. I think the teams are both in a lot of ways, and you pointed some of this out too, like they're they're both kind of mirror images of each other. Yeah, it's a Spider-Man team, meme. Yeah, neither team shoots well from behind the arc. They both defend the arc really well. Uh, they both have, they both like run their offenses through a dominant big man. Um there, there's just a lot of a lot of similarities in these in these areas, and I think that benefits the Aztecs in the way that they the Aztecs are just more experienced and and once again playing on the home floor. That I I don't know I, I I'm having trouble explaining it, but it just it, I think it bodes well for them that they're it's almost like tiebreaker goes it's just like, almost like tie goes to the runner in this situation Kinda, because yeah. they are so. I mean, even even down to two foul participation, they're like exactly the same. They're 348th in the country, 350th. Mm-hmm. Like everything down the line is all the little. If you're looking at Ken Palm, they do. If you've never looked at it before, they they color code everything. 
and all the color codings are the same on everything minus like one or two things. And it's it's pretty crazy. This how how much they how much Utah State looks like the Aztecs, but the home court it's gonna be a it's gonna be a buzzsaw for them coming in on Saturday. But it's been a buzzsaw anytime a team goes on the road for any matchup, and so you know that just bodes well for the Aztecs. So, all right, we have gone got a pretty good amount of time here. You did you have your preview coming out for Utah State? Do you have anything else to plug Trone before we get going? Uh, nope, not, not this week. The preview is coming out. If you're listening to this show, the preview is probably out. I don't control when it goes out, but we're recording this Thursday night. Um, and I've been told the preview will go out Friday morning. Um, I do actually want to give it, it's not a plug for me, but I want to give a shout out to, uh, the ag ship is, I think the name of the account. And I've shouted them out on Twitter before. Um, but they, they kind of have helped me with, with some writing stuff and it'll be super helpful, especially for the return game where we go to Utah state. Um, so shout out to them. I don't think they're listening, but if you like, they do good work and I, I am super respectful of anybody who can break down film of a game. It's super rare to find in, uh, just like media in general. And I think it's because it's the like investment, the return you get on your investment isn't great. Um, but he does, he or she, it might be a girl. I honestly have no clue. I'm guessing it's a guy. They do great work. Um, so check them out on Twitter and just kind of see some of the stuff that they've, that they've said before. Um, so I'll shout them out and, and send them a thank you, but yeah, check out the, the East village times preview. That's all I got for, for this one. And I'll have another one for air force that I've already started, but that's, that's my plug. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, going to continue plugging the, we believe network. We are, I mean, we've gotten a lot of cool NIL content out there with, uh, our quarterback transferring from uh, Florida State, AJ Duffy. We got something with him. We got the Danny Diaries with our incoming big time fre- freshman quarterback. Uh, it's free on Substack if you want to check out a preview of kind of the stuff we're doing. We're, we did one on Substack. Everything else will be behind the paywall. And then if you're listening to this Friday morning, we're tape, we're recording this on a Thursday night. Like my very one of my very first ideas for the We Believe Network content wise is coming to life tomorrow. And I'm so excited for it. And I think it's going to really resonate with people and I, I hope people really like it. So go check out the, we believe network feed to see what that is, but you know, go subscribe. All the money goes towards the NIL efforts. Everybody else that works at Aztec Lincoln, we believe are a hundred percent volunteers, just trying to get these, trying to get these guys and gals some cash to bridge, to bridge the gap there between their scholarships so they can focus on doing what they love. But, uh, but yeah, we got a lot. We we got we've grown the universe here, Tron. It's it's great. We got a lot of stuff going on. It's it's been great, and I can't even take hardly any credit for it. I think what what you and and Kyle have started with the We Believe Network has been really amazing, and I'm really surprised. I'm sure people at other universities had done similar kind of things before, but I'm really surprised that nobody else had kind of thought of it before. Because my issue with NIL was always like there's no guaranteed return, right? If you donate a million dollars to a university to get good players, you might get good players, but that still doesn't mean you're going to win anything, right? So it's a hard investment to make and and add on top of that, I don't have a million dollars to spare, right? I have hardly anything. I'm very, I'm very house poor. I'm very privileged in a lot of ways, but I'm very house poor. So I don't have a lot to give up. So just donating money for, if I'm not guaranteed anything back is tough, but donating money and you're getting content back. Now you're getting something very concrete, very valuable in a lot of different ways, especially if the content is good, which it has been fantastic at, we believe. Um, so yeah, I've been super surprised that nobody else thought of it. And I, I definitely recommend to anybody who's listening, subscribe to it tell your friends to subscribe to it do do all the cool stuff well i'm gonna leave it at that this has been another episode of the aztec breakdown podcast don't forget to subscribe like check out all the stuff that we're doing go aztecs go aztecs on the floor it's butler with two seconds he's got to put it up
coast in for the layup. Franklin with two seconds, forces the shot, it's good! The Aztecs advance, they've won it on the shot by the player of the year. Miller, he put it behind his back, it's taken away by Butler. Lob it up, lob it down! Big finish, Keyshawn Johnson! Now we have tasted this, we're coming back. We're coming back.